Faith Community Church, thank you so much for joining with us this morning online. Thank you so much for joining with us as well. It's good to be together in this way. Now, uh, some of you might be wondering, why is Pastor Tim on a stool? Uh, I'm old and I'm 50 now and no, uh, uh, well, it's true, I am 50 now, but um, so this last week on Tuesday, I went for a run as I usually do on a Tuesday morning and I experienced the perfect storm of uh, low blood sugar, extreme fatigue and dehydration and I blacked out for a second and I fell on the ground and I hit my hand here, this is concrete, and bruise my ribs, and bruise my ribs. And so the stool is helping me to uh, be able to breathe um, and not feel too much discomfort. Uh, and then some of you who have experienced this before when you pass out unexpectedly and your body like betrays you, uh, uh, I'm now still getting my legs back out, uh, back under me. And I, there's a part of me that's like, I just don't want to pass out in front of everybody right now. Uh, and so I'm going to sit for a little while, and as I get more comfortable and animated, I'll stand, and we'll see how that goes. Uh, We are starting a new series today called I Will, which is out of the book of Hosea. And the reason why we're calling the series I Will is that there are about 30 times in the book of Hosea where the Lord says, I will. I will be committed. I will tear apart. I will allure. I will, I will, I will. And this is talking about how God responds to the people of Israel in their unfaithfulness to him. And we want to get a glimpse from this book of God's heart and the promises that he makes, especially, especially when we're unfaithful to him. I don't know about you, but I've got some friends who have talked to me at times and they, you know, quote R.E.M. because they grew up in that era, same as I, about how they've lost their religion. They don't believe in God anymore. And at first that used to sort of unnerve me a little bit in those conversations, you know, pastor and all that kind of good stuff. Um, But eventually I started to ask a question when someone would tell me that they gave up their religion or they lost their religion. I started to learn to ask this question if the context was right and it made sense and it was the right location for for a conversation like this. I would just ask them and say, could you tell me a little bit more about the God you don't believe in anymore? Because I bet you it's not the same God that I believe in. And I bet you it's not the God of the Bible that you have abandoned. It's a God of your own making. And so far, so far, when people describe the God that they don't believe in anymore, it's not so much the God that the Bible portrays. It's a different God. Sounds a little bit like the God of the Bible, but it's different. So maybe that's you today. Maybe you're somewhere in a spot where you're maybe wondering, you know, what is God really like? The book of Hosea is gonna tell us a lot about God's heart this morning. And so I'm excited to be able to look at this book. So for me personally, uh, just so you know, uh, two of my, fa- my, my two favorite books in the Old Testament, and it depends on the week on which one I like better, is um, Jonah and Hosea. And so this is one of those ones where it just allows me to uh, talk about what I'm excited about talking about. And yet at the same time, yesterday I was at a grad party and Kevin Christopher, director for worship, was there. And he asked me, are you excited about tomorrow about being able to preach uh, from Hosea? And I paused. And it wasn't just because I was trying to get a breath. 
But I paused. He goes, so are you not excited? And I said, you know what? I am excited, and I'm also intimidated. And the reason I'm intimidated is that the God of Hosea is so beautiful, so beautiful, I don't want to get in the way. And my, my hope is, and this is something I don't have control over, which is one of the bummers about being a pastor, is I don't have control over the very thing I'm hoping to accomplish here this morning, and that is that you get a glimpse, a glimpse of the God of Hosea, the God of the Bible, in a fresh way, in a deeper way. That's what we're praying for, and this is what we're working out today. Um, we're gonna look at Hosea chapter two, verses 14 through 20. This morning, and we're not beginning at the beginning of Hosea. This isn't going to be a chapter and verse kind of book or kind of sermon series. And because the book of Hosea is cyclical, it's cyclical. Uh, God talks about uh, the judgment that he's going to bring to the people of Israel. And right away, whenever he talks about judgment he's going to bring, he's going to talk about his mercy and what he's going to do in response. And we're going to try to pick up on these key places in the book of Hosea where God reveals his heart and especially what his heart is like when we're unfaithful and what he's going to do in response. So we're going to start in Hosea chapter 2. It's found on page 752 and the Bible's in front of you if you didn't bring your own Bible or don't want to look in your mobile device. And as we go into this series, I just want to remind you of a quote that we often reference around here, and that is by a guy named A.W. Tozer, who said that what comes to mind when we think about God is one of the most important parts of us. And I hope that when God comes to mind to all of us, he looks a lot more like the God that Hosea shows us this morning. So, Hosea chapter two, verses 14 through 20. Therefore, behold, I will allure her. He's talking about the people of Israel. I will allure her and bring her into the wilderness and speak tenderly to her. And there I will give her her vineyards and make the valley of Achor a door of hope. And there she shall answer as in the days of her youth, as in the time when she came out of the land of Egypt. And in that day, declares the Lord, you will call me my husband. And no longer will you call me my Baal. For I will remove the names of the Baals from her mouth and they shall be remembered by name no more. And I will make for them a covenant on that day with the beasts of the field and the birds of the heavens and the creeping things of the ground. And I will abolish the bow and the sword and the war from the land and I will make you lie down in safety. And I will betroth you to me forever. I will betroth you to me in righteousness and in justice, in steadfast love and in mercy. I will betroth you to me in faithfulness, and you shall know the Lord. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Now, just a little bit of context. So I'm gonna give a little bit of context about Hosea here, and I don't know if Pastor Tim will do that in the remainder, but I wanna, uh, he'll probably give a little bit of pieces along the way, but I just wanna set up a little bit what's going on here. Uh, who is Hosea, and why is this in the Bible, and what's the, what's the message, what's the context in which this message shows up? Uh, Hosea was a man who was called to be a prophet to God, uh, for God, to the people of Israel in around 745 B.C. 
And this is about 20 years before God calls a nation named Assyria to come in and completely wipe out the people of Israel. At this stage when Hosea is ministering and serving and talking to the people of God about who God is and what's to come, um, the nation of Israel is actually divided. It's a little bit confusing when you read the Bible um, because the nation of Israel is called Israel and also Judah because the northern part of the people of Israel are Israel, that's how they're named, and they take that name for themselves, and the southern kingdom takes on the name Judah. The reason this is, is because even though the people of God in the Old Testament, the nation of Israel started uh, under the leadership of a man named Saul, that didn't go well. Uh, God raised up a man named David and brought a lot of flourishing to the people of Israel, established a covenant with him, and then uh, the kingdom expanded and it was unified. Uh, Solomon, David's son, took over and he expanded the kingdom even more, was unified. And then eventually, though, there was rebellion after Solomon and the kingdom now is divided. That's the situation in which we find ourselves as we look at um, the letter or the, the message of Hosea. You've got two kingdoms, the northern kingdom, Israel, the southern kingdom, Judah, and they're all in some sense called Israel. Hosea is called to be a suffering prophet. He's called to be a suffering prophet because he's called to give a message of judgment and of woe and of devastation to the people of Israel, the northern kingdom to the north or the northern kingdom, a, a message of devastation. God wants the people of Israel to know that when Assyria comes in and wipes them out and takes them captive and exiles them to never see the land again in the same way, that God was doing something. God was active in this. The reason why, and he, and he wants them to know the reason. And the reason why is alluded to in our passage for today. It's because the people of Israel, especially in the north at that time, were characterized by idolatry. They were a people called by God to be a people for God. And what they did is that they blended their worship of God, of going to the temple and Sabbath days and trying to keep the law. They blended that with the Canaanite gods of the day, the, the neighboring gods of the day called Baals or Baal, which means uh, my husband. That's what the name means. And they blended their religion together. And so what God says here in verse 17 is I will remove, so this is one of the I will statements, what God promises to do in light of the idolatry that Israel is characterized by. In verse 17, I will remove the names of the Baals from her mouth and they shall be remembered by name no more. And the reason why God has to say that as a promise is because the whole people of Israel, almost to a whole, is characterized by idolatry and serving this God called Baal. They believe that he's the one that brings the rain. They believe he's the one who causes the plants to grow. They believe that, that their flourishing is because of him. And they've abandoned God in their hearts. And God calls Hosea to give them a message of this is what's coming and this is why. But Hosea isn't some kind of unmoved message teller in this. Because God calls Hosea to be a suffering prophet 
and to be a picture, to be a picture of God's heart. What it's like for God when we commit, adult, commit idolatry and we're unfaithful to God. What it's like for God when he comes to the point where he gives us over to our idols and the devastation. And what it's like for God to remain faithful in the midst of all that. Because Hosea is called to do something that no other prophet is called to do. He's called to go marry a prostitute. We see this at the beginning of the letter, the letter, the, the, the book. In verse, chapter one, verse two, God calls Hosea in this way and he says, go, take for yourself a wife of whoredom, prostitution, and have children of whoredom. For the land commits great whoredom by forsaking the Lord. God calls a man to marry a prostitute. And this isn't pretty woman. He calls, God, he calls Hosea to marry a prostitute and to love her, to make vows to her, to be faithful to her, to have children with her. Why? Because God wants the people to see. Because God, we can't see God. God wants the people to see and he wants us to see. What is going on in God's heart when we're idolatrous, he's not unmoved. He's not unaffected when we're unfaithful to him. God also calls, as it's mentioned here, calls Hosea to have children with Gomer, his wife. Gomer bears three children. The first one's called Jezreel. And Jezreel is a place of great devastation and destruction. It's sort of like when you and I hear the word Chernobyl, we think of nuclear uh, accident and nuclear uh, uh, destruction, right? Uh, for them, when they hear the word Jezreel, they think of all the bloodshed that was done in this valley. It's a place where all kinds of bloodshed was. And like God is, name, is calling Hosea to name one of his children Jezreel because that's what's gonna happen to Israel. They're gonna be wiped out. Gomer has three other, or two other children. The next one's called Lo Ruama, which means I will not have mercy. Imagine naming your child, I will not have mercy on you. But right, right when God calls Hosea to name this child, I will not have mercy, he says, I will not have mercy because um, Israel has done this, but I will forgive everything. And so what we see right away in the book of Hosea is that whenever God talks about the devastation he's going to bring, right away he talks about, and this is my faithfulness and I'm going to love and I'm going to restore because I'm not going to give up on this people. And the third child is going to be named Lo-Ami, which means not my people. Imagine naming your child, not my son, not my child. That's what Hosea has to do. So that when there's conversations with, his, with other people in Israel, like, what, why did you name your kid, not my people? He can say, because this is how we've treated the Lord and we've acted like we're not his people and so he's gonna give us over. He's gonna treat us like he's, we're not his people. And Hosea has to suffer through that. God is showing us through Hosea 
that when we're unfaithful and we give our hearts to idolatry, we're treating God like a husband whose wife has been unfaithful. It's painful to God. Now at Faith Community, we talk a lot, probably not enough, but we talk a lot about idolatry here. And a lot of times when we talk about idolatry, we talk about the, when we give ourselves to idols, and you know, we don't, we don't worship the Baals like the Canaanites did, but they're, 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 they had certain names for their gods. We have the same idols, they're just, we call them something different. We just call it control. We just call it pleasure. We just call it um, money or wealth. Those, the gods of the Old Testament, they, they were ones, they were personifications of these things. And so we worship the same things. We're tempted to worship the same things. And one of the things we emphasize here at Faith Community over and over again is that when we give ourselves to idols, it's actually, it's actually devastating to us and to our families and to our relationships and to our own lives. You will never flourish as a human being if you follow after idols. And that's a message that we want to keep sending. It's like a self-preservation. If you don't want to end up destroying your life, then run away from idols and run to the God who made you. There's a guy named David Foster Wallace who wasn't a Christian. He's not a Christian. He's now dead. And at a commencement speech at the University of Kenya, he said this, and I, and I preface it that he's not a Christian because he, he has the insight of someone that can teach us. He says, in the day-to-day trenches of life, there is actually no such thing as atheism. Now, ironically, he was an atheist. <laughs> but he recognizes that there's no such thing as atheism. Why? There's no such thing as not worshiping. Everybody worships. The only choice we get is what to worship. Then he goes on to say, and an outstanding reason for choosing some sort of God or spiritual type thing to worship is that pretty much anything else that you worship in life will eat you alive. Again, he's not a Christian, but he's experienced what he's talking about. If you worship money and things and material things, If that's where you really tap your meaning and your purpose in life, if you really get it from that, you will actually never have enough. And you will never feel like you have enough, and that's the truth. You worship your own body and beauty and sexual allure or strength, you will always feel ugly. And when time and age start to show, you will die a million deaths before they finally plant you in the ground. Because the thing that you're really trusting in is wasting away. If you worship power, you will feel weak and afraid and you will have to get more and more power over others to keep that fear at bay. You worship your intellect, being seen as smart, quite frankly, sometime you're gonna end up feeling very stupid and a fraud and always on the verge of being found out that you're really not as smart as you want other people to think you are. Now that's a message that we want to keep sending because it's a, it's a message to come back in that when we're tempted to follow some kind of idol, we're tempted to build our lives on our intellect or our affluence or our kids' successes or whatever it might be, pleasure, it will enslave you. And you will not flourish with that as your ultimate purpose and meaning in life. You won't. You're made 
for so much more. Your heart is made for the God who made you. And Hosea gives another reason to avoid and run away from and take seriously the idolatry that you're either in right now or you and I are tempted to give ourselves to as we still seek to follow Jesus. And that is our relationship with God and what it does to God's heart when we're idolatrous. When we're idolatrous, God wants us to see in Hosea his heart. We're breaking his heart as it were in the sense that God feels like a husband who loves and cares for and cherishes his bride and she goes after other lovers. And I know there are people in this room who've experienced the horrors and the pain of a spouse who's been unfaithful. That pain you feel. You feel something that God feels when we're idolatrous. When we're idolatrous. It's almost, it's almost scandalous. It's almost scandalous that God would do it this way because it, it seems like, well, God is weak. No, he's trying to show us how much he loves us and how persistent he is in his love for us and how steadfast he is in his covenant to us. We're getting a glimpse of a suffering prophet. Can you imagine what it was like for Hosea to have a friend come up to him after he had married Gomer? and had children with her, provided for her, loved her, cared for her, and then he finds her, somebody, a friend finds her selling herself down on the street because she goes back into prostitution. And God calls Hosea to come and love her again and rekindle that marriage relationship again. Do you imagine what it was like for Hosea to have a friend come up to him and say, Hosea, I'm sorry, I hate to, say, I hate to tell you this but I saw Gomer downtown and this is what she was doing. I know it breaks your heart. Now in our day and age of human trafficking, which is very real and very tragic and is something that I think as people of God, we need to do whatever we can to try to undo human trafficking. There is human trafficking in the time of Hosea as well. Sometimes prostitutes were, um, were there and, and working because they were enslaved because of wars. But what makes, what makes Hosea and Gomer doubly tragic is that yes, there was human trafficking going on. Gomer chose to be a part of it. She chose to go after lovers that would enslave her. And even that's a picture of idolatry. When we choose to go after created things rather than the creator. So we want to take idolatry seriously. And we all have different kinds of idols that uh, grab us and pull us away. So how do we discern those? 
Here's a few questions. So a few questions just to discern where our idols might be that are in competition for our hearts to the living God. First question, I think I've got six of them. What do you make time and financial sacrifices for? It used to be open up your checkbook, but nobody has a checkbook anymore. What do you make time and financial sacrifices for? There could be idols there. What do you worry about? One of the reasons why I'm in this chair is I'm trying to get my legs back under me and also I worry about my reputation at times and I would be, I'm very anxious right now that I'm gonna pass out in front of you and what you might think of me. What do I worry about? Oftentimes too much, I worry about my my reputation. That's an idol for me. What do you dream about? Like, what do you dream about? Like, daydream about? Like, when you have nothing else to do, where does your mind drift to? That can be an idol. It could be a happy, harmonious family situation. It could be a lustful dream. It could be your coworkers presenting you with employee of the year. What, if you didn't have it, would make your life not worth living anymore? Where do you run for comfort? Sweet pleasure, alcohol, drugs, sleep. Whose applause do you long for? Whose applause do you long for? And because God made us to worship him and God loves us and God is the only one who can actually satisfy the deep longings in our hearts for we want to be able to trust someone completely and fully. We need to take idolatry very, very, very seriously. And because it breaks God's heart who loves us and only does good for us, we take idolatry seriously. We ask ourselves these questions and missional communities, in our families, in our own quiet time so that we can see what those temptations are and God, please help me to turn away from them. When I was a sophomore in college, there was a girl that I saw from across the room. And it's not my wife, but I saw her from across the room and I thought, I want to get to know her and I would like to date her. And... I was at a, it was a parent weekend and my, my mom and dad were visiting and this is just the arrogance of, you know, a 21-year-old or 20-year-old, I think, at that time. Um, I told my mom, I said, okay, by the time you come back up for homecoming, I will have a date with her. I did. And at Bethel, where I went to school, we had this thing where um, it was Nick Dog and Gadkin, and um, it was this time where in the, in the fall, guys would ask out girls, and they would hang out and do activities through the week, and then in the, in the spring, girls would ask out guys and do these activities during the week. And so I took full advantage of that, and we, we built a really great relationship, and I really, really, really liked her. And I thought things were going in a really good direction. So much so that on Thanksgiving weekend, she lived near me. I, the day after Thanksgiving, I drove down to be with her for the day after Thanksgiving, just have a good time and go hang out and um, go to malls and you know, everything we did back in, the, uh, back in the 90s. It was a great day. We even had photos of a photo booth, you know, and she kissed me on the cheek. And then I found out the day after, another guy was coming 
to visit her and do the same thing. And I was torn. There's part of me, in my pride, in my like, I'm gonna fight for her. This guy is a knucklehead. There's no way he's as good as I am. And I talked to her about it and she had a really hard time choosing. A really hard time choosing. I can't imagine why, but she still had a hard time choosing, right? Eventually one day, I took her some lunch and I said, you know what, I know, I know you're having a really hard time choosing between me and this other guy. I'm gonna choose for us. I think you should date him and we're gonna remain friends. We did remain friends. She sang in our wedding. But she dated this other guy. And it was one of the hardest things I'd ever done at that time. The reason why I tell that story is that eventually I had to make the choice for her. And that's what God does in the book of Hosea. He makes the choice for the people of Israel at times. And he'll do the same for us. That if we don't choose between him or our idols, he will choose for us and he will give us over to those idols. And he can bring devastation into our lives. This is what God says to the people of Israel in chapter two, right before our section that we're reading today. He says, and I will lay waste to her vines and her fig trees of which she said, these are my wages, which my lovers have, have given to me. She was attributing the bounty and the flourishing, the kingdom's flourishing at that time. They're saying, Baal gave these to me and God is the one who gave them to them. I will make them into a forest and the beasts of the field shall devour them and I will punish her for the feast days of the Baals when she burned offerings to them and adorned herself with her ring and jewelry and went after her lovers and forgot me, declares the Lord. God will give us over to our idols. He did it with the people of Israel. He did it with Judah later on in 586 B.C. We don't want to play with us. We want to make, we want to make a choice between the God who is there or idols because God will give us our choice. He will. The people of Israel were wiped out. Assyria came in. There was massive bloodshed and the people were exiled. And the nation basically got brought down to almost nothing. That's what idols will do. And because God is holy and because God is good, he will give us over to our idols. But the message of Hosea is not just that God is good and holy and he will give us over to our idols. If we don't choose, he will choose for us. He remains faithful. And it's this amazing thing in the book of Hosea, and it's almost blasphemous, and I almost am a little, I, I, seriously, I am a little concerned to talk this way. And I talked to somebody after the first service who was concerned about how I was talking as well, about God's heart. But we need to understand that God has at his core, he's a God of mercy, and even when he gives us over to our idols, even when he inflicts devastation because of our idolatry, his heart isn't in it in the same way as when he is fully engaged in showing us 
mercy. Later on in the book of Hosea, God talks about what he's going to do with, Hosea, with the people of Israel. And he, he talks this way. He says, my heart, this is God talking, my heart recoils within me. How can I give you up, O Israel? How can I do it? I can't. My heart recoils. See, this is where the God of the Bible is different than the gods that, the God that we tend to lose our religion about. It's because the God of the Bible, even though he will bring devastation, even though he will bring judgment, even though he has a wrath that is a settled, purposeful wrath against evil, he doesn't inflict from the heart in the same way as he shows mercy from the heart. There's something there's something about the heart of God that we need to catch that is core is that he longs to show mercy. The book of Isaiah that is talking about judgment as well talks about God's judgment as his strange work. His strange work. Why? Because God's heart is one of mercy. Parents, you know a little bit of what this is like, just like I do, I think, is that you know what it's like to have a child where you realize, like, I've got to bring pain into this child's life. Maybe they've got to restrict their use of their phone or I've got to restrict their uh, going out or I've got a, some kind of corporal punishment or something like that. I've got to bring pain into their life. And, and you'll do it because you know it's good for them and you have a purpose of doing good in that relationship uh, to, to bring in that discipline, but your heart's not in it in the same way. If your heart isn't in the same way, you shouldn't be doing it. But your heart's not in it in the same way. Why? Because there's a part of this like, I want more for you. I want there to be harmony. I want there to be mercy. That's what I long to pour out to you. That's what God's trying to show in the book of Hosea. So that even though God is going to bring the people of Israel into the wilderness and they're going to experience significant devastation, God, right after he talks about the devastation he's going to bring, he says this. Verse 14, therefore behold, take notice, pause and consider this is what behold means. In the wilderness, I will allure her. I will bring her into the wilderness. She's gonna experience devastation, but it's in the devastation where I will speak tenderly to her because I cannot give her up. The book of Hosea puts together that when God determines to bring devastation, he also determines to speak tenderly and to draw back and to restore. This is the God of the Bible. Is this the God of your heart and mind? Now some of these promises that Hosea talks about, about peace on earth, and a cessation of war and that we will be, uh, that, that Baals will be taken out of our mouths, that we'll never have any idolatry anymore. Those are still to come. Many of those are still to come in the future when God creates again a new heavens and a new earth. Do you, do, you, do you understand that in the new heavens and new earth, when we're resurrected after Jesus returns, do you recognize that you, by God's grace and transformation, you're gonna forget how to sin? You're going to be surrounded by a beautiful creation and you will never be tempted again to abuse it the way you are tempted now. Because God's going to wipe the mouths or the, the names of the Baals from our mouths. We are no longer to be tempted to sin anymore. 
That's amazing. That's still coming. But we start to learn to be faithful to Jesus now because of what he's going to do in the future and because of what he has done in the past and because of who he is to us right here, right now. Hosea, the name Hosea means the Lord saves. And Hosea was called to be a prophet who suffers with an unfaithful bride. And Jesus was called and sent and gladly came to suffer for an unfaithful bride. The reason why God will never give us up is because Jesus has taken the ultimate devastation upon himself. When he died, the full wrath of God was poured out on him. In that moment, Jesus got what we deserve for all of our rebellion and all of our idolatry. Jesus got what we deserve so that you and I, you and I can get all that Jesus deserves. All the love, all the faithfulness, all the persistence in love, all the mercy, all these things Jesus secured for us. It's amazing. This is the God of the Bible. It's the God who sent Jesus. So how do we respond? Just a few things. One is if you are in a spot where you could honestly say, yes, I have lost my religion. I want to ask you, is this the God that you lost? Or is it a different God? Because the God of the Bible, the God of Jesus, is far better and far more beautiful and far more loving and far more good than you could ever imagine. If you want to know more about who he is and how to investigate him and learn from him, talk to me after the service. I'd love to do that. If you're a follower of Jesus right now and you need to know and be reminded from Hosea that we are all, we're all drawn to certain idols and to take that very seriously. And one of the most important things that we can do is continue to remind our hearts of God's goodness from the scriptures, God's goodness, so that we love God more than anything else. The greatest commandment is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength and your neighbor as yourself. And the way to increase in our love for God is to remember and remind one another and teach our hearts just how powerful and beautiful and good he is. Lastly, maybe you're in the midst of devastation right now, that God has made the choice for you and he's given you over to something and you know that you're in the midst of devastation. Hear the words of Hosea. God speaks tenderly to you right now in the midst of your devastation. Turn to the Lord. Don't use the devastation as a reason to run farther from him. Use it as a way to turn to him. Because even though we forget God, he never abandons us. The amazing thing about running away from God is that we think we've run hundreds of miles, but the moment we turn around, God's right there. 
because he's been with us all the way. I invite you to stand and we're going to pray and sing one more song together. Father, thank you so much for your goodness and your mercy, your kindness, your steadfast love, your persistence. And as we, as we look at you in this book, through this prophet, would you please capture our hearts? Would you please capture our hearts? Would you please woo us and allure us with your goodness and your beauty and your power and your strength and your mercy? God, would you help us to turn away from idols? And I thank you that you're committed to removing those idols from our mouths so that we never speak of them again. I thank you for this song that we get to sing. This is who you are. You are our defender. Even though we lose our way, you are the one who knows exactly where we lost our way and you find us right there and you are the one who can put us back together. And so God, would you please help us to rest in your strength as the one who puts us back together. Thank you. In Jesus' name, amen.